Thank you all uh, so much for being here. And uh, first, let me check to see if my voice is, is clear everywhere and if I'm speaking in the right volume. Uh, I want to uh, talk today about um, the bell of the gathering, um, which is one of the many epithets that Ibn al-Arabi uh, gave uh, in his introduction in his book of lyrical poems to the beloved that he was celebrating. Um, but before I mention the beloved and the celebration, I want to mention the gathering. Uh, James Morris gave a very moving uh, uh, talk last night in which he pointed out that uh, the voices and the beauty and the depth that we find in Ibn al-Arabi and Rumi um, were part of uh, a development with over several centuries of Islamic culture, spirituality, and civilization. And one of the uh, uh, great things about Ibn al-Arabi um, uh, and Rumi is that they allow themselves to be empty in a way uh, to allow all those voices to come together. That's the only way I can uh, understand how this amount and um, depth of, of thought and poetry could burst open in such a small amount of time. That, they, that an individual genius is a person who uh, has obvious, obvious gifts, but is a person who somehow is open to uh, ideas and thoughts that are circulating powerfully. And one sees that in the writings of Ibn al-Arabi about his teachers, about his colleagues, about their constant conversations, about their constant dreams and um, uh, living and seeing one another within their dreams, talking about those sites. And one of his teachers is the, um, uh, that I'll mention now, was the aunt of uh, the Bell of the Gathering. So I'm going to begin just by translating a small section from the preface of his famous book of lyrical poems, um, say a few words about that, and then read what I consider to be his great Arab-Persian romance poem from the uh, Tarjuman in translation, discuss it, and then um, hopefully have some time to discuss that with you. The, the book opens then, of course, with a, as all Islamic texts, with a homage to God and then a homage to Muhammad. Praise be to God the glorious, the one who acts, the beautiful, the lover of beauty, who created the world in the most complete form and adorned it, who in making it apportioned out degrees of wisdom about the beyond, who alluded to the place of his secret and determined it, who favored the mystics with the whole of it and made it clear, who made what was on the earth an adornment and brought mystics to annihilation, burned in ecstasy in contemplating that adornment. 
God bless the one to whom he appears in the most beautiful form, sent with the most complete sharia and the most exemplary life, Muhammad ibn Abdullah, for the high station, favored with universal wholeness and the coming down of revelation, and on his family and companions' salutations. Notice the the central centrality of beauty in these two homages. Um, and um, the homages often are a precy of what will follow. Then he begins in a very matter-of-fact tone. Now, when I had arrived in Mecca in the year 598, I found there a group of notables and a throng of scholars, intellectuals, and cultivated men and women. I found no one of whatever excellence who was so uh, preoccupied with observing what was between his today and yesterday as the learned sheikh and imam of the shrine of Abraham. Blessings upon him. Makina Din Abu Shuja Zahar bin Rustam bin Abi Raja of Isfahan. And his sister, Fakhrun Zah, the sheikh, the sheikha of the Hijaz. Fakhrin uh, means pride of the women. After referring to her as an alima, uh, uh, a feminine for a, a woman religious scholar, and as a sheikha, um, he says her nickname was Fakhrin and then he says, Bel, um, she should be called Fakhril, uh, the pride of all men and women together. So right away he uh, engages the gender question, pays homage as he does throughout his works to both men and women teachers, and talks about humbly petitioning her to study hadith with her. She answers that she's near death and her, her uh, last prayers have preoccupied her from such uh, work, but he allows him to get a diploma for her hadith traditions from, uh, from her. And he writes back and says, um, in riwayah, that is in passing on traditions of the hadith, your how and my how, your condition and my condition, your mystical state and my mystical state are one. Then he talks about uh, meeting her daughter, Nizam, and um, launches into an extraordinary rhymed uh, prose homage to Nizam as the bell of the gathering um, for her beauty, her wit, her learnedness, her mastery of poetry and prose, um, her ability uh, to speak from the pulpit, um, her sense of decorum. And uh, in, in the course of the 61 poems, he composes the poem that I think most uh, directly addresses uh, Nizam. Um, and of course, the word Nizam refers uh, to uh, the, a way a, um, beautiful things are arranged. It's related to the Nazm of the Quran, 
the, the way the Quran is arranged through the stringing of necklaces, and Ibn al-Arabi makes references to that. Here is the poem. By the way, let me uh, offer a word of appreciation to the marvelous poetry readings from Ibn al-Arabi last night, in which those, both in Arabic and English, we heard poems like this that begin with the desert Nasim, the remembrance of the lost beloved, the standing by the encampments of the lost beloved, and the calling upon the companions of the poet to stand with him and grieve for the lost beloved. The most famous lost beloved was Layla, and the most famous griever, of course, was Majnun Layla. So, uh, Ibn al-Arabi begins this way. By my father's life, she's a girl who knows to play, to walk proud among the jeweled bells of the howdah, proud among the ladies unadorned. In my eyes, like the sun, she rose then set, a glow in the horizons of my heart. Uh, this reference to the jeweled howd uh, to the howdahs um, and uh, the maidens and the ladies unadorned uh, puts the poet back into the time of Majnun Layla, the time of the Prophet Muhammad, into the desert. I call it um, um, Bedouinizing, uh, classicizing poetry. That is, poets from urbane centers like Ibn Larbi are now um, voicing themselves as wandering around crazed like the uh, desert poet Majnun in the time of Bedouin culture. I'll go right through the poem now and then um, say a few words about it and then maybe we can talk. I've called it In a Bad Way. Um, I'm in a bad way, lost in the languor of her eyes. Call her to mind and heal me. Memory of her is my only cure. Doves rustled in the green and cooed and the same sad sadness as I. By my father's life, she's a girl who knows to play, to walk proud among the jeweled bells of the howdah, proud among the ladies unadorned. In my eyes, like the sun, she rose then set, a glow in the horizons of my heart. Ruins in Rama, Faded now, what beauties and what curves of the breasts you've seen. By the life of my father, by, own, by my own life, a gazelle grazes in violet within the curve of my ribs. By the life of my father, by my own, a gazelle grazes in violet within the curve of my ribs. What burns for her there is light, and light extinguishes the burning fire. Draw in the reins, two friends, turn aside, that I may see the trace of her encampment, see it with my own two eyes. When you arrive where she rested, friends, climb down from your camels and grieve for her there. Let me stay a while before the ruins. Let us begin to grieve. 
Then let me grieve for what broke me down. Without arrow, love struck me down. Without bow, she put me away. Tell me, friends, will you help me, help me grieve? Recall for me, friends, Hind and Lubna, Sulaima, Zainab, and Inan, then tell of Hajar and Zarud, cities long faded to ruin. Bring word from the meadows, bring word from the meadows, bring word from the meadows of gazelles grazing. Sing my loss with verse of Kais and Layla, Maya and her madman lover of Elan. Long my longing for a girl well composed, harmony in prose, verse, sermon, and explanation for the daughter of kings, of Persian shahs, of the city of cities, of Isfahan. For a daughter of Iraq, my master's child, and I, a son of Yemen, her contrary. Did you know, gentlemen, have you heard that two contraries can never meet? Had you only seen us in Rama exchanging without hands wine cups of passion? As love sang without tongue, a rapture song of love between us, you'd have seen what melts reason, Iraq and Yemen intertwined. The poet who long before me coined these verses lied, bashing me with the stones of his mind. You who'd match Suhail with the plays, tell me, God grant you life, how can they conjoin? She is in the Syrian east as she rises, while he, Suhail, is rising south-southwest in Yemen. As in all his love lyrics, Ibn um, al-Arabi embraces the uh, coincidentia oppositorum. Um, he talks about Nejd and Tiham, the highland and lowland regions of Arabia, he talks about uh, joy and sorrow. He talks about earthly and uh, heavenly. And he talks about um, Arab and Ajam, um, the word often used uh, for Persian at that time, which also meant any non-Arab speaker. The coincidentally oppositorum then uh, uh, for him and Nizam, who I mentioned here as Harmony, and if one had to translate a name, well, I think Harmony would be her name. Um, and uh, just to mention how she came up, we had um, Majnun Layla and, and um, the madman lover poet Kailan longing for their beloveds Layla and Maya. And then he says, long my longing for a girl, well-composed harmony in prose, verse, sermon, and explanation for the daughter of kings of Persian Shahs. 
Why does Ibn al-Arabi go out of his way so much um, in his preface to give homage to these two scholars from Isfahan? Why does he uh, make a, a large point about where, where they were from? And why in his poem um, to Nizam does he make such a large point about her being Ajim uh, from, uh, from Persia, from Isfahan? What is happening at this world? When Ibn al-Arabi, uh, in his writings, tells us he came to Mecca in 598, he saw uh, a youth uh, who appeared to him, which became, in some way, the Futuhat al-Makiyah. He got into an argument with the Kaaba when he used one of the classic Sufi tropes about the greatest of the Kaabas is the human heart. What can a stone Kaaba do to compare with that? The Kaaba assaulted him, um, um, and so he composed seven love letters to her in exquisite rhymed prose. Um, uh, Riyadat Log showed me those. I don't think they've ever been really fully worked through or translated. And he, he met uh, Nizam and another strange lady, uh, mysterious figure I'll talk about this afternoon, um, and they, they, uh, that led to the, uh, the poems of the Turjaman Rishwa. At the same time, he was coming from the far west, Andalus. Uh, Rumi, of course, was um, uh, making his way from the far east, from Balkh. Um, in the uh, article, Did the Two Oceans Meet? We know they got close. I don't... I don't think it matters whether they ever met. Their consciousness was so far beyond being in one place at one time or literal meanings that, and the culture that they represented, um, these two seas were meeting at this time. And I think that what I find in these poems is an erotics of cultural difference. That is, it is this cultural difference coming together in this extraordinary way that is in some part uh, 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 the beauty uh, that uh, is a Nizam um, and the beauty of that gathering and on just one of the many, many levels of meaning in these poems, I think, as I read it, is Ibn al-Arabi's acknowledgement of that. I look forward to any discussion we might have. Uh, let me just point out that, of course, we know that most well-educated notables in uh, uh, Persian-speaking, knew Arabic, talked about knowing Arabic. Most of the Arab writers of Ibn al-Arabi's time, including the great poets, Ibn al-Arab, Arabi, Ibn al-Farid, who seem to have been in Mecca at the same time, if we can trust Ibn al-Farid's biographies, um, and Shushtari, um, that we don't know much about whether they understood the Persian poems of Attar and Nizami and Saadi that were coming around. There must have been circles of Persian speakers in Damascus and other places. They, they knew them. He talks about knowing them. Did they hear this ghazal? Um, did they somehow um, know, know about it? The protocols of Arabson, Ibn al-Arabi, um, were not that he was going to talk about it. Um, it seemed to have been a protocol bound up with complex reasons. But it's an enduring mystery about, uh, to me, and I've sent out a note 
if anybody has any idea about whether um, how Persian poetry was circulating into the Arab world at this time, it would be fascinating to hear. Thank you. I look forward to discussions.